The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Z-Pod. An outreach ministry of Identity Matters podcast. Z-Pod is focused on addressing the worldview issues relating to the millennial generation and their children, Generation Z. Our new podcast series reveals the importance of the indwelt believer knowing and understanding who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us today and welcome to Z-Pod with Dr. Stephen Finney. Welcome to ZPod, and we are primarily studying and gathering statistics on Generation X, Y, and Z. As we've mentioned in previous podcasts, but to those of you who are new listeners, you need to understand something is we're not quite sure what's going to happen after Z. The children from zero to 18 or 19 years of age are considered Gen Zers. So what really comes after Gen Z? Truly thinking this is not the final generation. Well, that depends on your beliefs in eschatology. But in eschatology, there's one particular piece that all of us who study eschatology, that's the study of the end times, there's one simple piece that we watch for. Now I know that there's prophetic teachers and leaders and preachers out there that are putting months and days and hours to the Lord's return. And that is a very dangerous thing to do. A responsible theologian is going to be watching for one simple glitch in the timeline of Jesus Christ returning. That glitch is watching for the closing of the church age. Because after the church age, the seven-year reign of the Antichrist has to occur. 602-292-2982. Send me a text regarding your eschatology, but you better be able to prove it. It is a critical piece in church history. A society is in front of us right now that they have already labeled globally as the post-church era. So what that means to us researchers is that there has to be a complete generation prepared to handle the first generation 
of the post-church era. So it does not even take a fourth grader to figure out who those leaders are. Who are the leaders of the post-church? Who are these new pastors coming? What do they believe? What is their theology? What is their background? What's their roots and traditional biblical doctrines? Oh, if you only add the passion and love that I have for watching for the bullseye of the end times, you too would listen to news very differently. You would be watching churches very differently. You would understand why apathy is a demonic spirit. And it is settled on this generation. It was not very long ago, my grandfather was a preacher, and I guess he was a pretty passionate guy. Thanks, Grandpa. But he was a very passionate church reformer. And during his generation, the preachers would preach in such a way that in the case of Charles Spurgeon, that the people would hang on to the pews in front of them because they were afraid the floors were going to come out from underneath them and they would fall to the pit of hell. Do you know how much childlike thinking has to be in the minds of adults sitting in those pews to do that? Not anymore. That does not exist today. What exists today is any time that you hear a preacher or teacher ramping up, you reach over, and this is proven by the the American Psychological Youth Journal states that the youth today have mastered the art of literally channeling to a different place when they hear a strong teacher. Do you know what channeling is? It's what we used to call zoning out. Now it's an art that they can be literally sitting in your class and they are in a complete different place. No matter how loud you talk, in fact, the journal said, I read it this week. The journal said, the louder you speak, the more confident you speak, the more absolute you speak, the faster they go to this place. From a physiological point of view, here's what's happening. You guys tell me what is the most glorious phase of going to sleep. It's right before you enter it. You're still conscious of things around you, but there's this overwhelming thing taking over your mind that takes you into this state that is so pleasant It's kind of like you're drifting off. That's the world they described. And it can be produced by the human mind. 
through channeling. And some are really good at it, and some just lose attention. The other thing that the journal said is that the this generation that we are facing today, Gen Z, is that their attention span has been already labeled damaged. They cannot keep attention in their minds. They therefore cannot be attentive to content that is longer than 30 seconds. It was only a handful of years ago in my preaching I revealed to you guys that it was six minutes. That was the millennials. That's their parents. The Zers cannot maintain an attention span longer than 30 seconds. Now some are a little more trained than others and they can do what you and I do every day and you'll do this quite frequently through this message today. I'll lose you and you'll reloop it. Now our attention spans is probably much longer than 30 seconds because of our age and the school structure we came from and so forth. So therefore, we may not need to reloop until the 10-minute mark. But see, as your mind needs to escape into that zone before you fall asleep, that's what happens in the human mind every single day is your mind needs to escape the reality of what you're listening to, what you're involved with, the news, or what, whatever it is. Your mind has to escape for a moment. And then you can choose to reloop it. They're not choosing this. So the question does need to be asked tonight. Where in God's name does this come from? Does anyone have an answer? Video games. I'm going to be showing you statistics over the next four weeks that doesn't even include video gaming as an issue within their research because it's a given. It's a given. Statistics says that an average youth spends minimum of four hours, but typically up to eight hours on their devices every day. In those statistics, it says outside of gaming, here's your statistics on social networking, on texting, videos. It's outside of gaming. So it was the gaming that programmed their minds to a 30-second time period. So if you don't capture their attention within 30 seconds, it's over. Game over. That's why that video constantly has got to change to different things quickly. Or they won't recommend that game to their friends. Same thing with videos. Same thing with picture posting. And it goes on and on. When they say such and such a picture went viral, well, I don't know if you know what that means. When it goes viral, it's trending. When a picture 
trends. It has captured the attention of the world. So it better be a good one. It better be unique. That's how it works. So the generation Z has mastered the art of manicuring imagery. To be classy, clever, funny, and multipliable. That is their goal every day. Even if they are creating an image for themselves. Here's our three points that we're going to get through here tonight. First one is, is that we need to look at the watch works that are behind generational ethics. What makes this whole ethical problem that we are having in this present generation, what is making it work? Then we need to talk about how Gen Z is adopting this whole idea of pluralism or multiple paths, not just to one single religion. Now let me give you a piece of prophecy. You cannot have the modality of many paths lead to one God until many paths lead to one government. Government and its infrastructure must be in place first before a religious movement can dominate the world. Now I know you're seeing evidence of pluralism all around you every day. I have been taking very careful notes on the commercials that are in the Olympics. Because see, this is where they spend millions and millions of dollars on, if you didn't notice, you need to notice, their commercials are 30 seconds long. Last year they were one minute. 30 seconds long. That's just enough time for someone to look at their smartphone and just count out 30 seconds. That is a long time for them. That commercial better be classy. It better be clever. It better be funny. And it better be worth pushing the share button. So if you think this is just stuff we're grabbing out of the research bag to try to wake up the Zers' parents, the millennials, then you are really uninformed. The entire world is moving in this direction of pluralism. There are discussions right now on the idea of dissolving the representation of countries in the Olympics. They've been working on this for a long time, but the world wasn't ready for it. Whether it will be the next one or whether it's going to be a couple years down the road, you will see this happen. That the athlete will register under the Olympic name and they will represent themselves. Athletes are already going to other countries to train. 
They're paying big money for coaches that don't even belong to their country. That's only happened in the last three Olympics. The idea of dissolving the lines between the countries with the Olympics, I personally, as I told Shannon, agree with that 100%. But see, it was birthed out of the idea of government first, and then pluralism second. Because when these athletes come to this domain, they drop all of their boundary lines. They are fellow athletes. The Olympics, if they accomplish this this new venue, which they will, 602-292-2982, call it prophecy if you want, but they will accomplish this. And the governments are going to see this was one of the wisest things that have ever happened. Because look at the unity that is occurring amongst these athletes. And the joy and the happiness and the acceptance of all the religious views and political views and everything that is represented by those 4,000 people. They're proving that it's going to work. And if you know anything about the original Olympics, you'll know that was the original goal of the Olympics. We have some changes coming very soon. And it is going to support pluralism in a way that will be difficult for you to understand, let alone embrace. We're also going to talk about the chaos of the post-truth era. So generational modalities. All generations collectively experience a mixture of hand-me-downs, so to speak. These hand-me-down traits religious beliefs, and cultural trends that serve to shape their generation's primary modality or method of living. Well, Gen Z is no different. Why would they be? Generational failures. Here's how it works. I grew up on the tales of the ex-boomers who suffered with World War II. If you remember, it was the dads were off to war, and so mom basically had to be mom and dad and provider, and some very bad things went wrong with our society and our culture as a whole worldwide. It's not just America. So this created an opportunity for the enemy to get in there, settle in a doctrine within the minds of the children, that was me, to react to their poor decisions. So what happened is very simple. Since all cultures have a reaction to the action their parents forced upon them, my generation formed the hippie movement, which was fueled by the sexual revolution. Now, I know there's listeners right now that are about my age. You're in your 60s, a little younger, a little older. But you have probably said to yourself, boy, was I thankful I didn't get sucked into the hippie movement. Here's the deception that is inside your mind. 
Very few people in a generation do not separate themselves from a movement like that. You still see the colors on them. It may be more preppy looking. You still see the bell bottoms. You still see the fat belts. You still see the long hair. But they're not calling themselves hippies because they're not pot smokers or living in a bus. The entire generation that we are living in is affected by the colors. Orange is the proclamated color for Gen Z. That's why I use it. There are certain clothing styles. There are certain graphics they use. And so forth and so on. And most of us adopt those things either to reach them or we think they're kind of cool ourselves. So everyone is affected by a major movement. I happen to be in the core of that hippie movement. And so here's how that works. The hippie generation embedded the neglectful society of their parents' ethos or manifested culture and formed a culture that protested war. So I was a part of this peace and love movement that was sweeping the country at the time, in fact, the world. They became their own self-proclaimed authority because our father figures were off to war. Or if they came back from war, they were next to useless in many cases because of the trauma they had to deal with. So the bounce back time put us already grown up before they can make a difference on their children. What went on to begin to be established is that the hippie generation took the stuff in the 60s, which is kind of where the hippies were warming up. They kind of are responsible for opening up the sexual revolution. The true hippie movement were the ones that actually did applied ethics or lack of them. We put it into use. So what we ended up doing is creating a global belief system from these early 60s running around half-dressed if they were dressed at all. So I became part of a streaking society. I was one of the very first in our corner of the state, from what I was told, to be a proactive streaker. If someone gave me a dare strong enough, I'd streak through them all. I'd streak across a football field. I was in a band, and we had it built into the programming of the band. The time came for Steve to streak. <laughs> and I would do a striptease act on, on the stage, and just think about being at a prom. And all of a sudden... This guy's stripping on stage as a drummer's going into a stripper beat. I'd take my clothes off, jump off the stage, and run through the auditorium. <laughs> I've had officers chasing me, school security chasing me, principals chasing me, and loved every single second of it. 
Bad part is I didn't count the cost because I end up being a stripper in a strip club. And I was the first in our area of the state to have a male stripper with a Vegas showgirl stripping together. I don't want to just do things. I want to do them in an entrepreneurish way until I got beat up by her pimp. So bad, they didn't think I was going to live. So that kind of stopped that. But that's what we did. That is applying the threat of the 60s going naked in their own little camps and parties. We took it to the public world and started a new movement called pornography. And we know where that went. But it was our generation that launched it. So the generation that followed mine, which are the millennials, reacted by their, reacted by integrating the hippie movement actually into their belief system. Because the hippie movement was basically, I don't care what you believe. Will you please pass the joint? You see, that was too irresponsible. So the millennials may have continued to smoke a lot of pot or make it legal, applied ethics. They may have taken it to a new level, which we're seeing today in politics and in your neighbor's house. And I'm wanting you to see that's what happens. What was fun to us sitting around a living room smoking pot and someone was always assigned to watch the door for the cops. It's gone. Now the cop comes in and joins you for a joint or two. (laughs) Every generation integrates the generation stuff before them into their belief system and does applied ethics. You're thinking ethics is always looked at a good moral philosophy. No, there's all kinds of morality levels within a moral philosophy. There are people that walk around and attend churches where the mothers, for example, have their cleavage showing and they don't even think anything of that. That is pornography. Back in my day, if we would see in a magazine what we're seeing on the street today, they would call it pornography. But now it is a norm within a church to wear many skirts and to show parts of your body that you probably should not be showing. Every generation takes the previous generation's bad decisions and forms them into their belief system. And they begin dressing, acting, talking to match that self-proclaimed formed culture. So the whole movement of us hippies, now in this millennial generation, they were literally forcing God into this general way of leading people through love and peace and open sex and cleavages and churches and 
you know, mini skirts and you see everything's okay in church like it is in society. We have some interesting stuff coming up in a couple weeks on exactly what is society. And should the church be a part of it? Should we blend so there's no difference from outside the door to the inner door? Should there be this holy sanctuary view that was in the 50s of a church? Should we throw that out? What should we do with that? I'm going to give you some real live statistics to show you exactly what we did do. And why they're tearing church buildings down right and left. The Word of God, the passage that our online listeners need to look up, either now or later after the podcast, is Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. And it says right here, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invincible attributes, that's what sealed this promise. The scripture goes on to say, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. It says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor God or honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their own speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals, crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. So here's the problem with tattoos, folks. How many have you met that have said, well, I'm just going to get a little little one on my, on my ankle. Little butterfly. The problem is, that's the entrance point. I get asked that question if I believe in tattoos and marking your body and blah, blah, blah. That's not the issue to me. The issue is the entry points of these cultural outward, external expressions. It's like taking your first drink. It's like anything. Satan needs his entry point. A butterfly becomes a sentence across your back. You start to do the tattoos in places that other people don't see. 
it becomes more of an addiction that goes up and down your arms and on your neck. And some people do their faces. Some have tattooed literally their entire body. Piercing is exactly the same thing. Some do a little nose piercing. Some do places that shouldn't be spoken of. It always gets out of control because Satan found his gateway. Now think about this. I'm giving you an external example for you to understand that's how spiritual deception works. You buy into one thing and it rolls into the full meal deal from the enemy. That's what this passage is telling us. They knew the truth. They knew. God made it evident. But they made an exchange, a wrong kind of exchange life. They made an exchange. And once they make the exchange, God makes the decision. You're done. Now, can he do that to an entire culture, a group of people? Count on it. Count on this passage working itself into generational ethics. Count on it. So can an entire generation be turned over to their depraved minds? Is the question. 602. 292. 2982. I would love to have you text me your answer. This passage actually became the game changer. The fulfillment of this passage literally is like in a game, there's sometimes something that happens in that game that literally shifts the entire game in a different direction. We love it when we see it happen, if there are a team, of course. Something happened to change the entire game. And it's almost next to impossible for the opponent to catch up. That's what this scripture is doing and will continue to do to the world. So why are we seeing fewer salvations the closer we get to the bullseye of the second coming of Jesus Christ? You just heard it read to you. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.